Demons Discuss, Take 86, the one without a titular event. Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. We're your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I am Valerie. With me is Angela and Jean. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. What are we talking about today, Jean? We're talking about Chapter 17. We're back in the lab and running around campus and finding some things out. Oh, I wonder what we're finding out. (laughs) I guess we'll have to proceed. You know what we have to find out, though? Our title. All right, what the title of this episode is. (laughs) It will come to us. We have no idea. We sat down. We're like, what are we naming it? And we're like, hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Don't know. This is the titular event. This is, yeah, it's like a dabbling chapter. So it's hard to come up with a title when you just dabble. Yeah, there's lots of little fun things in here, but. If we have a light bulb. Yeah, if we have a light bulb moment in the middle of this episode, please bear with us. You'll witness a eureka moment, and I'll leave it in too. Yes, that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna get you a title. <laughs> All right, guys. So this podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. Thanks to them, you don't have to endure our reading you ads in the middle of us bitching about one character or another. I won't say anything. Okay. Or, God forbid, <laughs> an ad about toe fungus. Apparently that one's making the rounds on YouTube right now. Eee, I know. What, you? what is that? Okay. So you get to hear us griping and that's all ad free, guys. That's great. <laughs> no, <laughs> griping fun. interrupt. And honestly, isn't that better than us talking to you about toe fungus, really? <laughs> or underpants. Underwear that, that breathes. Seriously. <laughs> Our patrons <sighs> help us pay for all kinds of things like web hosting, media hosting, domains and renewals, cloud storages, cloud storages, storage, just the one storage, <laughs> equipment and more. Like sound effects. Ooh. We'll get into yes. that later in the episode. <laughs> Angela, why should listeners become patrons? Well, there are various membership levels. You could start at the $2 coven level or work your way up to the Fire Drake level, but membership levels have rewards that go with them. But two things are for sure you get our after show, which Yay. is produced in our off weeks, and you get entered into a quarterly drawing. Yay! And win a prize of Valerie's choosing. Yay! Except for this year, it's all preordained because we decided on the divination package for everybody. Nice. Yay. Yay. And that's a Magic 8-Ball and a t-shirt. And the Magic 8-Ball patrons understand that. Maybe you don't, but maybe you can become a patron and figure it out. But that's how you win. (laughs) (laughs) We're so delirious right now. I am too. This is going to be fun. (laughs) Did you guys have a rough night? What's going on? I don't know. My coffee hasn't kicked in. I have no memory. I it's a rough talk. week. It, it God, has been a rough so, week. It has. It's been such a busy week. So. <sighs> okay. And then I got to get back to it after we finish this. So. Oh, yeah, I this know. Is a welcome respite. This is yeah. one of the rare recording Fridays that we do. Mm-hmm. We haven't had one. Jitney Friday while. has gone away. Damn it. Damn it. So we had some disguster emails this time. Yay! 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 All Thanks right. Thanks for coming through, folks. And who wants to start with theirs? I'll start. I have one from. 
from Stephanie R. Hi, Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie. Well, she says right back to you. Hello, demons. Oh. This is my first email. I found your podcast in December, binged it, and have been a devoted follower ever since. Wow. I love love how in-depth your discussions are, delving into every nuance. That'd be us. Hey. Yep. Chapter 17 is overall a very calming chapter. Very, air quote, day in the life. Until the end, of course. She starts with apple and bean, knowing what's to come with gallo glass. Am I the only one who finds his doting fixation on the sonogram a bit creepy? Mm, Maybe (laughs) not. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Diana and Lucy's research. I've listened to this book several times and I still can't follow this section. My takeaway is that they still don't have answers. And if there's more to it, I'm betting Gene will enlighten us. I hope so. You know what? I'm with with Stephanie. I think I was listening on audiobook too. Maybe that's my problem. I kept having to... Uh Uh-huh. Rewind it like 30 seconds, 30 seconds. I mean, granted, I, it's a little bit of distraction yeah. on my part too, but I agree. I agree with mm. Stephanie. Okay. Jean, maybe you can we'll get into it. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. the page. I love that this is a mathematical, scientific way to measure magic. Earlier references in the book allude to some witches being more powerful than others, but how do they know? Mm. Because they have cooler, more powers? Mm. Side note. I always love side notes. I haven't even read it yet, but here it is. (laughs) (laughs) The conversation after the page is interesting to me in that when Chris asks about more data, it is revealed that Matthew hadn't disclosed the New Orleans branch of the family. Quote, I don't want to bother Marcus, is his excuse. (laughs) Really? (laughs) And I love the punctuation. Because it's very uh, uh, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Maybe the sarcasm font, really. Yes. Yes. And And an eyebrow raise. That's an eyebrow raise, too. Yeah. She does have shouty caps, but yours are good suggestions, too. I think you're trying to keep secret all the dark, horrible shit you've done and (sighs) apparently prioritize that over finding answers to save your family. I think she's spot on there. Yeah. 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 And then Baldwin slash Galloglass. Galloglass is Diana's version version of Libero, affectionate, loyal, protective, and follows her everywhere. I understand that Baldwin is looking out for his interests of the family. In other words, Richard could be a threat. But his manner irks me. I promise I don't hate him. I just don't like how he communicates. We did mention that last episode that he needs a yeah. HR sit down. He needs several HR sit downs. And, and Angela and I, I think I can speak for both of us, is the one thing we've always said about him is, yeah, he his communication skills and delivery are not the best. Yeah, it's yeah. not terrible. It's like, okay, uh, <laughs> Mr. Montclair, let's sit down. Here's where yeah. you could do well, better. He, <laughs> he admits he's terrible at diplomacy. So yeah, yeah. yeah. If there is that. He's somewhat self-aware of his shortcomings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then Jack. I didn't realize until the moment I read this part for the first time how much more I cared about Jack than Annie. Looking back, this was intentional. So much more time in Shadow of Night was devoted to Jack and all the adorable, hilarious things he did. Annie was just there. Sorry, Mm -hmm. Annie. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And then sound effect. Sad trombone. Sad trombone. Okay, this one's for you, Stephanie. Always and forever. Thank you, ladies, for all that you do. Stephanie R. Yay, Stephanie. Great observations. And welcome to Discuss or Dump. Yes. Yay. We hope to hear more from you. Mm-hmm. Mine is from Lori. Hi, Lori. AU. Okay. <laughs> Hello, dear demons. Thank you for the opportunity to opine on Book of Life chapters. My thoughts on Chapter 17. 
bang, off the bat, Diana is mooning over the sonogram of apple and bean tacked to the refrigerator, and we hear her thoughts turn to worry. Worry that everything's too perfect, that everything is going too well. I remember the first time I read this book, and even now, several years later, feeling the hairs on the back of my neck standing up. Oh, girl, watch out. If only you knew what was coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. We find out that in addition to the sonogram, the doctor prescribed that Diana should literally remain on the ground starting October 1st. I think it's already late in September, so she can currently fly for only up to three hours at a stretch. So if she's going to go to London to retrieve the book, she best figure out things soon. Yeah. Diana's a procrastinator, for sure. That's my side note. She'll worry about it tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Scarlett O'Hara syndrome. As if we need more foreshadowing of the troubles to come, mm. Baldwin calls on Matthew's within hearing to warn about the vampire in Chris's lab. And after Diana ends the call, Matthew throws her phone and smashes it against the bricks. Can you say blood rage? Yes. She's being very Matthew. I know. This is my new phone, fucker. <laughs> yeah. Well, she'll have a new one in a day or two. I know. So there is that. <laughs> Diana gets to spend a bit of time with Lucy in the library, and they discover a letter from Baresh to Kirchner that may provide vital information about the location of the third page. This is the kind of detail I missed completely on previous reads because I was so anxious to get to Diana performing magic and other, quote, more important stuff. Right. <laughs> the researchers in Chris's lab notice that the mass of one of the manuscript pages is varying significantly over time and that it is significantly heavier than a new piece of calf parchment. I love the image of my head of all these brilliant scientists standing around this digital scale in a modern-day genetics lab, wondering what the hell could possibly be happening. <laughs> they develop a theory that the page is actually a magical vessel and that there are other pages within it and the weight is changing because it's still somehow connected to the rest of the manuscript. Good theory. Hmm. I like how it fits with the palimpsest that we've already seen and we've already known the book to have been magically altered by Stephen, so only Diana can take it out of the bodily and so the theory fits what we already know. We hear Chris express his frustration. I like to say wine, but that's just me. (laughs) At their lack of data, every scientist's big complaint until these last few years in the era of big data we're in now. Miriam spills the beans on Marcus's children in New Orleans, as only Miriam can. Gallaglass offers to help round up vampire volunteers among the local vamp population in New Haven. And Miriam offers to visit the local demon bar downtown to round up some more subjects to donate a few drops. Oh, blood. (laughs) Problem solved? (laughs) We don't hear any more about this tidbit, but we do get more answers out of the lab several chapters on it. So presumably the data collection goes well and the analysis provides some answers. Lucy shares some more information with Diana about the Voynich manuscript and we learn that when he purchased it from the Jesuits, he nearly lost the bidding to two other bidders, one from Prague. Yikes! Mm. Benjamin's been on the trail of the book for over 400 years. Diana for just over one. He must not be very good historical manuscript researcher. The chapter ends with a very surprising, at least on first read, Reunion with Jack. Oh boy, here we go. Things are about to get interesting, folks. Take good care, all. Lori. Thank you, Lori. Yeah, thank you. You just saved me a lot of reading. I don't have to do that. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Right. You got it. Well, I don't remember hearing her name before. So welcome to Discuss Your Dumb, Lori. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yes, this is great. I have one from our journeyman demon, Zoe. Hello, Zoe. Hey, Hey, Zoe. Oh, she says, hello, Angela, Jean, and Val. Just a few thoughts on chapter 17. I like Mulders, and she puts it in quote, uh, poor kid, wonder what his real name is, and that's parenthetical. Yes. Idea about the page of Ashmal 782 being like a magical container. It's a perfect description. I also noticed something this time. 
time, she called. I won again. That's $10, Roberts. This is some strange courtship ritual Chris has going on. <laughs> he lets them win, but when they lose, as Diana does in uh, Discovery of Witches, it's time to move on and become a BFF instead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, and I love you're a hard woman to find, Mistress Royden. I remember the first time I read that line, I literally gasped and then shouted, mm-hmm. Jack, out loud, <gasps> gobsmacked. Loving the after party episodes, by the way, ladies. Isn't it amazing the things people notice that pass others by? Dare mm-hmm. I mention the rosary and the apples? Hey, okay, <laughs> Zoe, you don't have to rub it in, girl. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, take care. Until next time, ladies, your journeyman demon, Zoe. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, are we ready to do this? Yeah. Let's. yeah. Yes, we are. It's a are. good chapter. I like it. It is. Start up the wagon. It's a fun chapter. Okay. We may not be in a ditch too much. Not too much this time. Okay. So uh, when we left off in chapter 16, Gal Glass was offering to wrestle Chris. And we were wondering, why the hell does he want to wrestle Chris? Or why does Chris want to wrestle Galaglass so bad? And then we started, you know, uh, opining and speculating. Yeah. And then it just... And ditch driving. Yeah, yeah, it just wound up in a weird place. So let's pass that by and go on to Chapter 17. We open up Chapter 17 and there's Diana standing in front of the refrigerator. She's got uh, image tacked up on the refrigerators and she's staring at the images of their children with her hands on their belly. And where had the month of September gone? Okay, so... Saviors, they're just like the rest of us. Got that sonogram picture tacked on the refrigerator. What'd you guys think of this as far as like the sonogram and everything? I'll tell you my first thoughts. I'm like, oh, so they just look like normal children. This is fine, right? I mean, I don't know if they'd present themselves differently. That It's not like they'd have horns or anything. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. I was just thinking everything was like, so it was almost too normal. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you think there would be like something of concern that a human doctor would or, look at it and be like, yeah, uh, something's would, not there right. Would be glow. There would be a glow or something. No, Jean, you make a good point because look at baby Margaret. Didn't they feel some kind of tingling from right. Sophie? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Sophie knew she was a witch. Or maybe that's because Sophie had the vision, yo. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the other thing that always struck me is that Matthew was having such freaking issues about her having appropriate medical care. Mm-hmm. Who's her U.S. based creature, OBJ? Because he was so gung-ho about her being in London with people who he knew and this and that right. and the other thing. And now they're in New Haven. Right. Is it is Marcus like hijacking the sonogram machines right. and MRIs and whatever after hours over at the university? Does, does he have, yeah, know. does he have Nathaniel hacking into it just to observe? Like, get me, get me those images from New Haven. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, well, no, what I'm saying is, is, does Matthew have, or not Matthew, but Marcus have admitting privileges or something? Yeah. Yeah, that's University the thing. Marcus, or something? Marcus wasn't even in New Haven until later. So, yeah, hmm. yeah. Hmm. that's a good point. Good point. But he called ahead at the club. So it was OK. That's right. He knows people. <laughs> There's got to be some doctors. Open. Yeah. And everybody knows him. Yeah. Because Marcus has got it like that. 
Go, Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> Badass. And Diana got a good table at the lawn club, so it's, I know. All, it's all good. And Matthew doesn't, who this cheap ass, doesn't have to pay for parking. <laughs> right? Jesus. <laughs> okay. All right. So here we go. The three-dimensional ultrasound pictures of baby A and baby B, Matthew and I had elected not to learn the sexes of our two children, were uncanny. Instead of the familiar ghostly silhouette I'd seen in most friends' pregnancy scans, these revealed detailed images of faces with crinkled brows, thumbs. Did they put like little fig leaves over their gender reveals? So I don't know. The, the, the way they were probably wrapped up, you couldn't see them. Well, I don't know. Twins, it's hard. Yeah, I was gonna say you can't always count on that. Though. Yeah, it's, it's like, true. oh well, we chose not to find out their genders, but I've got a 3D sonic. No, it's like they chose not to tell you what their genders right. are. Right? Yeah, the technician could take like just little opportune shots of the genders not showing saying hey oh, and she's only talked about their faces so maybe yeah that's true thumbs rammed into mouths perfectly bowed lips my fingers reached out and I touched baby B's nose cool hands slid around me from behind and a tall and muscular body provided a strong pillar for me to rest against okay. gala glass <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, you just totally popped my bubble I'm like this is the Matthew I went gaga over in a discovery of witches and then you like gala glass. I know. <laughs> I'm gonna play the janky I Titanic music for this. <laughs> janky <gasps> Titanic music goes because you ruined it, Gene. Here we go. <laughs> it's one of my superpowers. <laughs> Matthew. Matthew, not Galaglass. Matthew! Okay, thank you. (laughs) Press lightly on a spot a few inches above my pubic bone. Okay, don't be nasty. God. (laughs) Oh, calling it that just ruined... I mean, it's better I ruined the moment with Galaglass than mention her pubic bone. I know. (laughs) So romantic. (laughs) So clinical. Uh, Bee's nose is just there in that picture, he said softly. His other hand rested a bit higher on the swell of my belly. Baby A was here. We stood silently as the chain that had always joined me into Matthew extended to accommodate these two bright, fragile links. For months, I had known that Matthew's children, our children, were growing inside of me, but I had not felt it. Everything was different now that I had seen their faces crumpled in concentration as they did the hard work of becoming. I like that phrase, really. The hard work of mm-hmm. becoming. Y- nice. You know, this chapter, I really took notice. I mean, maybe because I've seen the show so much now that this is like mm-hmm. back to Deb's sweet spot. I really loved her writing in this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, talking yeah. about Matthew providing his muscular body as a strong pillar and, and that phrase too. And I don't know, it just it's mm-hmm. like, I feel like I'm back to loving the books. Yeah, here we go. Well, hang on to that feeling, Angela. (laughs) I can have moments. (laughs) That so is, I mean, there's no mistaking that's that's definitely all dead, Mm -hmm. no dabbling, no over-editing. That's just her prose. Yes. What are you thinking, Matthew asked, curious about my extended silence. I'm not thinking, I'm feeling. And what I was feeling was impossible to describe. His laugh was soft, as though he didn't want to disturb the baby's sleep. They're both all right, I assured myself. Normal. Perfect. And here's Matthew to spoil everything. They're perfectly healthy, but none of our children will ever be normal. 
<laughs> well, he's yeah. got a point. Yeah, it's true. And this is what goes back to what Sarah said in previous chapters about Diana having that the congregation's right. She has no normal powers. No normal powers. Yeah. I know, but it was such a nice moment. Shut up, Matthew, for a minute. <laughs> well, no, well, I mean, he, I, I have to admire him because he's trying to, he's getting her head out of the sand. Yeah, I know. Which, which needs to happen. Mm. And thank God for that. He kissed me. What's on your schedule for today? More work at the library. My initial magical leave that had promised to reveal the fate of at least one of the Book of Life's missing pages had turned into weeks of hard scholarly slogging. Lucy and I had been working steadily to discover just how the Voynich manuscript came into Althanius or Althanius. What? Help me. Athanasius. Yeah. Athanasius. Athanasius. Yeah. Athanasius. There Athan- you go. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Latin. Yeah, those Latin names, Latin and Greek names are going to get you every time. I, they get me every fucking time, and I've been up all night. Just He's, call him Kircher. Kircher! Yeah, <laughs> Kircher is fine. Hands and later into Yale's possession, hoping to catch a trace of the mysterious tree image that had remained superimposed on the Voynich for a few precious moments. We set up camp in the same small private room where I had worked my spell so we can talk without disturbing the growing number of students and faculty using the Beinecke's adjacent reading room. There we poured over library lists and indexes of Kircher's correspondence, and we'd written dozens of letters to various experts in the United States and abroad with no concrete results. You're remembering what the doctor said about taking breaks, Matthew asked. With the exception of the ultrasound, our trip to the doctor's office had been sobering. She had drummed into me the dangers of premature labor, preeclampsia, and the necessity of staying hydrated, my body's additional need for rest. My blood pressure Pressure is fine. This, I understood, was one of the biggest risks that through a combination of dehydration, fatigue and stress, my blood pressure would suddenly spike. I know monitoring my blood pressure was my vampire husband's responsibility and Matthew took it seriously, but it won't remain that way if you push yourself. This is my 25th week of pregnancy, Matthew. It's almost October. I know that, too. After October 1st, the doctor was grounding me. If we remained in New Haven where we can continue working, the only way to get to the Bodleian Library would be by some combination of boat, plane, and automobile. Even now, I was restricted to flights of no more than three hours. And Matthew's like, we can still get you to Oxford by plane. Matthew knew of my concerns. It will have to stop in Montreal, then in Newfoundland, Iceland, then Ireland. But if you must get to London, we can manage it. His expression suggested that he and I might have different ideas of what circumstances would justify my crossing the Atlantic in this hopscotch fashion. Of course, if you prefer, we can go to Europe now. She says, let's not borrow trouble, a.k.a. let's think about that tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) But she unwittingly borrows trouble all the time. Yeah. So it's ironic for her to say that. I know. She's picking and choosing here. She says, tell me about your day. And Matthew goes on. Chris and Miriam think they have a new approach to understanding the blood rage gene, he said. They're planning to trawl through my genome using one of Marcus's theories about non-coding DNA. Their current hypothesis is... It might contain triggers that control how and to what extent blood rage manifests in a given individual. So it was Marcus's idea. They're just implementing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
This is Marcus's junk DNA, the 98% of the genome that doesn't code proteins, right? I took a bottle of water out of the fridge and popped the cap off to show my commitment to hydration. See, Matthew, I'm drinking. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Back off. That's right. I'm still resistant to the notion, but the evidence they're putting together is convincing. Matthew looked wry. I really am an old Mendelian fossil, just like Chris said. Wah, wah, wah. Sad, Matthew. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but you're my Mendelian fossil, I said. Matthew laughed. And if Marcus's hypothesis is correct, what will that mean in terms of finding a cure? His smile died. It may mean that there is no cure. That blood rage is a hereditary genetic condition that develops in response to a multitude of factors. It could be far easier to cure a disease with a single unequivocal cause like a germ or single gene mutation. Can the contents of my genome help? There had been much discussion of the baby since I had my ultrasound and speculation as to what effect a witch's blood, a weaver's in particular, might have on the blood rage gene. I didn't want my children to end up as science experiments, especially after seeing Benjamin's horrific laboratory. But I had no objection to doing my bit for scientific progress. I don't want your DNA to be the subject of further scientific research, Matthew stalked to the window. I should have never taken that sample from you back in Oxford. But she did. Mm -hmm. So here we are. (laughs) (laughs) I smothered a sigh with every hard won freedom Matthew granted me and each conscious effort he made not to smother me with over possessiveness, his authoritarian traits. Didn't you just have problems with that word? (laughs) We're having problems with this word. His authoritarian traits had to find a new outlet. It was like watching someone try and dam up a raging river. And Matthew's inability to locate Benjamin and release his captive witch were only making it worse. Every lead Matthew received about Benjamin's current location turned into a dead end, just like my attempts to trace Ashmole 782's missing pages. Before I could reason with him, my phone rang. It was a distinctive ringtone. The opening bars of Sympathy for the Devil, which I had not yet managed to change. (laughs) When the phone was programmed, someone had irrevocably attached it to one of my contacts. You think that was Matthew who did that? No. You think it was Baldwin, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I think it was Baldwin. Your brother is calling. Matthew's tone was capable of freezing old faithful. What do you want, Baldwin? There was no need for polite preamble. See, he has a sense of humor. <laughs> I know. He's, <laughs> I, 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 like I said, he's self-aware and he does have a sense of humor. <laughs> Your lack of faith wounds me, sister. Baldwin laughed. I'm in New York. I thought I might come to New Haven. Make sure your accommodations are suitable. Yeah, you should see the dumpster in Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's got a thick skin, and that's why sometimes people with thick skin has poor delivery. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Whatever you could say doesn't hurt me. Fuck right. it. <laughs> yeah. Matthew's vampire hearing made my conversation with Baldwin completely audible. The oath he uttered in response to his brother's words was blistering. Matthew's with me. Gal Glass and Miriam are one block away. Mind your own business. I drew the phone from my ear, eager to disconnect. Diana, Baldwin's voice managed to extend to even my limited human hearing. I returned the phone to my ear. There's another vampire working in Matthew's lab. Richard Bellingham is the name he goes by now. Yes, my eyes went to Matthew, who was standing in a deceptively relaxed position in front of the windows. Legs spread slightly, hands clasped behind his back. It was a stance of readiness. 
Be careful around him, Baldwin's voice flattened. You don't want me to have to order Matthew to get rid of Bellingham, but I will do that without hesitation, should I think he possesses information that could prove difficult for the family. So he's just looking out for the family, y'all. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. I I don't think he really meant to call attention to Richard. I th- now hindsight is twenty twenty. I just see him as, one, showing them, hey, I know what's going on there, so don't try to lie to me. And two... I will order uh, anyone dead, including other people and other important characters in the future. <laughs> right. <laughs> should yes. should I find it necessary? This uh, is just oh, a primer. It's a primer. Well, yeah. He could have just said, you good, Diana? Everybody cool around you? But I see it for the reader's benefit, not yeah. for theirs. Here's the other thing, too. It's for the reader's benefit, but also Baldwin knows how Matthew will discount details. And both of them are so notorious for the Scarlet O'Hara syndrome. Oh, it's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But the other thing with Baldwin is, is he knows all the deets on everybody and undoubtedly ran across Richard in one of his ar- incarnations, at least during the Revolutionary War, yeah. if not before. Mm-hmm. So he may also have old information going, well, this guy played both sides or he's a loose cannon or, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Yeah. It was evident that Baldwin knew a great deal about our life in New Haven already. Aha, uh-huh, just what Angela was saying. Mm-hmm. He's just letting them know, I know what's going on around you, so don't even try to fucking... Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like dealing with children. Yeah. <laughs> I do have eyes in the back of my head, just like mom and dad. There was no point in hiding the truth. Every vampire in that provincial town knows. And they travel to New York often, meaning they report back to Baldwin. He knows. Or gossip. Or gossip. Mm-hmm. Or the, and the shit. It floats to Baldwin's ears like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. It's always such a pleasure to hear from you, brother. Baldwin merely laughed. Is that all, my lord? It's sir. Do you need me to refresh your memory on vampire law and etiquette? No, I said, spitting out the word. Good. Tell Matthew to stop blocking my calls and we won't have to repeat this conversation. The line went dead. I mean... Of all the conversations with Baldwin, this one wasn't bad. Right. No. (laughs) Uh, Like I said, he does need to sit down with HR. However. I mean, this was not bad. It was almost lighthearted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He did call New Haven provincial, though, which I never take as a compliment. (laughs) Well, I mean. Well, it is kind of provincial if you think about it. (laughs) You've been to New Haven. Yes. Yes. Is he wrong? No, he's not wrong. It's it's very quaint. It reminds me of Gig Harbor. It's very quaint, cutesy little shops. Yes. Like when yeah. you're looking for an Airbnb and it's charming and, his, and yeah. historic. Yeah. <laughs> it's cozy. Uh, yeah. Quaint. Yes. I was going to say most of Connecticut's provincial, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. I mean, I've been to Hartford and points between there and Boston and it's all pretty like, yeah. You either catch a spot with a lot of strip malls that might have changed mm-hmm. in the past two years since I've been there. Or you'll catch a spot with little towns. There's always the church. There's always the city hall. There's always the main street. General store. Yeah. You know, there's always that. But you find that with most towns all over the U.S. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I guess Baldwin's just used to the Big Apple. Mm. (laughs) Hartford was like that on a little bit bigger scale. Mm -hmm. But it's like I was shocked because, wait a minute, this this is like the capital. Yeah. And it was like, hmm, oh, look, there's a six story building. It's so funny because it's like a hop, skip and a jump away from New York City. Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's pretty much 15 minute drive and bam, you're there. Mm -hmm. So let me see here. So Diana, (laughs) she goes, that 
uh, that F with a dash. So that fuck, oh. I don't know. It's, it's a, one of the lost fucks. One of the apparently. lost fucks. There it is. <laughs> is that it really, though? Was it ever there for real? No, oh. it was never ever there for real, but it was like a self-edited lost yeah. fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That it's like she started to say it, but mm-hmm. didn't commit, which is just chicken shit. Anyway, yep. <laughs> I began. Exactly. Matthew wrenched the phone out of my hand and flung it across the room. Matthew, calm down. That's overreacting. <laughs> it's so over- I don't know that it's blood rage, but it's like, man, talk about a tantrum. It made a satisfying sound of breaking glass when it hits the mantle of the defunct fireplace. Then his hands were cradling my face, though the violent moment that came before had been a mirage. Now I'll have to get another phone. I looked at Matthew's stormy eyes. They were a reliable indication of his state of mind. Clear gray when he was at ease, appearing green when his pupils were enlarged with emotion and blotted out all but the bright rim of his iris. At the moment, the gray and green were battling for supremacy. Baldwin will no doubt have one here before the day is done. Matthew's attention fixed on the pulse of my throat. Let's hope your brother doesn't feel he needs to deliver it himself. I mean, good point. Then why did you throw it, Matthew? I know. Yeah. Right. He's reactionary. Yeah, he's still being hot mess. <clears throat> Matthew's eyes drifted to my lips. He's not my brother. He's your brother. Hello to the house. And this is Galaglass. Galaglass's booming, cheerful voice up from the downstairs hall. Matthew's kiss was hard and demanding. Wow. Yikes. Wow. Very possessive. And Foreshadowing, I isn't it? I didn't notice this before. But I'm I didn't either. Now. <laughs> I gave him what he needed, deliberately softening my spine and mouth so he could feel in the moment at least that he was in charge. And Galglass comes upstairs and he's like, oh, sorry, shall I come back? Meanwhile, he's thinking to himself, damn it. Damn I'm it. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead of myself. We'll get to that chapter, audience. We will. Okay. <laughs> Galglass said from the stairs, then his nostrils flared as he detected my husband's overpowering clove scent. Something wrong, Matthew? Nothing that Baldwin's sudden and seemingly accidental death wouldn't fix, Matthew said darkly. Damn. Business as usual, then. I thought you might want me to walk auntie to the library. Why? Matthew asked. Miriam calls. She's in a mood and she wants you to get out of Diana's knickers and into my lab. Oh, shit. (laughs) Galglass consulted the palm of his hand. It was covered in writing. Yep, that's exactly what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I'll get my bag, I murmured, pulling away from Matthew. And Galglass is like, hello, apple and beans. Galglass stared besotted at the images on the fridge. He thought calling them baby A and baby B was beneath their dignity. And so he bestowed nicknames upon them. Bean has granny's fingers. Did you notice, Matthew? Galglass kept the mood light and the banter flowing on our walk to campus. Matthew accompanied us to the Beinecke as though he expected Baldwin to rise up out of the sidewalk before us with a new phone and another dire warning. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing like the cartoon vampire like rising. (laughs) Or better yet, yet, like something from Love at First Bite. That's exactly what it sounds like. It's like, wow, Matthew, I guess you did watch some campy vampire movies in the 80s. All of a sudden, a whole bunch of fog shows up and here's Baldwin with a new phone. Your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Don't block me. (laughs) 
<laughs> Leaving the Claremonts behind, it was with relief that I opened the door in our research room. I've never seen such a tangled provenance, Lucy explained the moment I appeared. So John D. did own the Voynich. That's right. I put down my pad of paper and my pencil. Other than magic, they were the only items I carried. Happily, my power didn't set off the metal detectors. D. gave the Voynich to Emperor Rudolph in exchange for Ashmole 782. It was, in truth, a bit more complicated than that, as often the case when Galaglass and Matthew were involved in the transfer of property. Yeah, we were there. We saw that. that was, <laughs> we remember. That was a little bit crazy. We see it again this weekend. <laughs> I love it. What are you doing? I'm just transferring the property. <laughs> Never you mind. Just run. Yeah. yeah. Consider it transferred. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking beat feet. Get out. Get out. Start the car. We gotta go. Run away. Run away. Start the horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Bodleian Library's manuscript that's missing three pages. Lucy held her head in her hands and stared down at the notes, clippings, and correspondence littering the table. Edward Kelly removed those pages before Ashmole 782 was sent back to England. Kelly temporarily put them inside the Voynich for safekeeping. At some point, he gave up two of the pages away, but he kept one for himself. The page with the illumination with a tree on it. So it really was impossibly tangled. See, I'm wondering... Did Lucy wonder, how do you know this, Diana, for sure? I mean, right. she, she's mm-hmm. speaking with such confidence and we know how she knew it because she fucking time walked and saw the whole thing. And did it. Yeah. <laughs> but where would did there be a record that he did that besides Peter's Yeah, I was going to say, wait a minute. We don't find that out until she doesn't find that. Nobody finds that out till later. Yeah. So, so how does she know? I mean, because that happened 10 years after they came back. Yeah. Ten years after their time walking time. I'm, is hmm. that a continuity error? I think it might be a continuity error. See, and that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, how can Lucy take Diana's, or maybe Diana's throwing it out like, oh yeah, I already read these pages about this and that and the other thing. And yeah, look, I can see how Lucy could take it, but as a reader, it's like, wait a minute, we don't, we don't know that yet. They don't yeah. know, nobody knows that yet. Yeah. We just know that they know the one page was sent to her parents. Yeah. If we were researching and I found something, I wouldn't find unusual for you to say, where did you find that out? Or yeah. How do you know that? Yeah. Right. Cite your source. Bitch. Bitch. We're feeling it today. Shit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it must have been Kelly who gave the Voynich manuscript along with a picture of the tree to Emperor Rudolph's botanist, the Jacobus de Tepmanes, whose signature on the back of the first folio. Time had faded the ink, but Lucy had shown me photographs taken under ultraviolet light. And Diana's like, yeah, probably. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Got me there. Uh-huh. And after the botanist and alchemist owned it, she made some annotations on her Voynich timeline. It was looking a bit messy with our constant deletions and additions. Uh, Sounds like another timeline I seem to remember. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I guess they didn't have an Excel spreadsheet. No. <laughs> I did think of that too, listening to this. Do we have that on online somewhere? That no. timeline? No, no. It's in our vault safe deposit box. Yeah. Oh. No. Okay. <laughs> it's still a work in progress. Okay. It's not something we're ready to release to the public yet. No? No. Okay. Okay. I'll leave it be then. So here we go. Uh, George... Bersh? I haven't been able to find out much about him. I studied my own notes. Bersh was friends with 
Tepanes and Marcy acquired the Voynich from him. The Voynich manuscripts illustrations of strange flora would certainly intrigue the botanist, not to mention the illumination of a tree from Ashmole 782. But why would an alchemist be interested in them? Lucy asked. Because some of the Voynich's illustrations resemble alchemical apparatus. These ingredients and processes need to make the Philosopher's Stone were jealously guarded secrets, and alchemists often hid them in symbols, plants, animals, even people. The Book of Life contained the same potent blend of the real and symbolic. And Athanasius Kircher was interested in words and symbols, too. That's why you think he would have been interested in the illumination of the tree, as well as the Voynich. Lucy said slowly. Yeah, see, I'm with you, Lucy. I'm just trying to keep up here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, we all are. Yeah. Yes, it's why the missing letter that George Barish claims he sent to Kircher in 1637 is so significant. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I slid a folder in her direction. The Kircher expert I know from Stanford is in Rome. She volunteered to go to the Pontifical Gregorian University archives where the bulk of Kircher's correspondence is kept. And nose around. She sent me a transcription of the later letter from Bears to Kircher written in 1639. It refers back to their exchange, but the Jesuits told her the original letter cannot be found. Oh, side note. God, the uh, scholar who Diana tapped to do the research for her mm-hmm. was actually supposed to be Paula Finland, who was one of Deb's dissertation supervisors. Oh, <laughs> and that's that e- Easter egg. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. When librarians say it's lost, I always wonder if that's really true, she grumbled. Me too. I thought rightly of my experiences with Ashmole 782. The other thing to know is that the Vatican libraries are infamous for, quote unquote, losing things. Mm-hmm. Really? Or, or shoving them in vaults that nobody's supposed to see. Huh. I wonder because what that motivation they, is. If, if I, that conversation back and forth referenced it to being the actual book of life, they may have seen it as heretical. Oh. Yeah. And I think we're going to get to it in a little bit, but like the estate sale that they're having with the books, I think that some of those things came out of the vault because they needed the money. Yeah. <sighs> Imagine that. The church actually needed money. Right. Who would have thunk? <laughs> well, I have a question for you, Jean. Was Lucy Merriweather ever explained why that name? I, I don't know if there was, I didn't know if there was an Easter egg behind no. it or if there's any just. That's what she named There's her. There's not. A couple people thought that there were, and Deb denied it and just said, no, Lucy's just modeled after a librarian friend of hers. Oh, nice. Okay. Kind of like um, her niece, as Phoebe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I thought both of her nieces, one was Sophie and one was Phoebe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something like that. Okay, here we go. Lucy opened the folder and groaned. This is in Latin, Diana. You're going to have to tell me what it says. Okay, so Diana says, Barish thought Kircher might be able to decipher Voynich's secrets. Kircher had been working on Egyptian hieroglyphs. Is that right? Hieroglyphs. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Hieroglyphs. It made him an international celebrity and people sent him mysterious texts and writing from far and wide, I explained. To better hook Kircher's interest, Barish forwarded partial transcripts of the Voynich to Rome in 1637 and again in 1639. There's no specific mention of a tree, though, Lucy said. No, but it's still possible that Bear sent it to Kircher as an additional lure. It's of much higher quality than the Voynich's pictures. I sat back in my chair. I'm afraid that's as far as I've been able to get. What have you found out about the book sale where Wilford Voynich acquired the manuscript? 
Just as Lucy opened her mouth to reply, a librarian rapped on the door and entered. Your husband's on the phone, Professor Bishop. He looked at me in disapproval. It's like, God, calm down, dude. You just one phone call, really? To give <laughs> oh me attitude. Some people are just like, <laughs> please tell him that we aren't a hotel switchboard and don't usually take calls for our patrons. Sorry, I said, getting out of my chair. I had an accident with my phone this morning. My husband's a bit er overprotective. I gestured apologetically to my rounded form. The librarian looked slightly mollified and pointed to a phone in a wall that had a single flashing light. Use that. My God, attitude. <laughs> I know. How dare you? See, I would think that you would like that, Valerie, because he's putting Matthew in his place. Like for me, that I I like it because um, in the industry I'm in, there are certain levels of advisors that are chairman level or president's level because of the assets they have under management or the commission they make, and it's like you should just be treated like everyone else. So just shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is how I feel about Matthew. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. You're not so important. She just explained it. Stop being rude. Yes, (laughs) I agree. I can agree there. Yeah. How did Baldwin get here so fast? I asked Matthew when we were connected. It was the only thing I can think of that would make Matthew call the library's main number. Did he come by helicopter? It's not Baldwin. We've discovered something strange about the picture of the chemical wedding from Ashmole 782. Strange how? Come and see. I'd rather not talk about it on the phone. So I gotta hang up. (laughs) I gotta go. I gotta go. Gotta go. Be right there. I hung up and turned to Lucy. I'm so sorry, Lucy, but I have to go. My husband wants me to help with a problem in his lab. Can we continue later? Sure, she said. I hesitated. Would you like to come with me? You can meet Matthew and see a page from Ashmole 782. And she's like, one of the fugitive sheets? Lucy was out of her chair in an instant. Give me a minute. I'll meet you upstairs. Rushing outside, we ran smack into my bodyguard. Slow down, auntie. You don't want to joggle the babes. (laughs) (laughs) Gal Glass gripped my elbow until I was steady on my feet and then gazed down on my petite companion. Are you all right, miss? And Lucy's like, me? Are you talking to me? You handsome vampire. (laughs) (laughs) She craned her neck to make contact with a big gale. I'm fine. Just checking, Gal Glass said kindly. I'm as big as a galleon under a full sail. Running into me has bruised men far bigger than you. And she said, this is Diana. She says, this is my husband's nephew, Gal Glass. Gal Glass, Lucy Merriweather. She's coming with us. After that hasty introduction, I dashed into the direction of Klein Biology Tower, my bag banging against my hip. After a few clumsy strides, Gal Glass took the bag and transferred it to his own arm. And Lucy's like, he carries your books? Oh my God. (laughs) And then Diana's like, and groceries. I whispered back, he would carry me too if I let him. Gal Glass snorted. Well, I mean, she's not wrong, Gal Glass. Stop snorting. Right. Yeah. Well, he was probably just chuckling because it's like, yeah, got Mm -hmm. me. Valid. (laughs) Hurry, I said, my worn sneakers squeaking on the polished floors of the building where Matthew and Chris worked. At the doorway to Chris's lab, I swiped my ID card and the doors opened. Miriam was waiting for us inside, looking at her watch. Time, she called. I won. Again, that's $10, Roberts. Chris groaned. <sighs> I was sure Galagos would slow her down. The lab was quiet today, with only a handful of people working. I waved at Beaker. Scully was there, too, standing next to Mulder and a digital scale. Sorry to interrupt your research, but we wanted you to know straight away what we discovered. Matthew glanced at Lucy. See, they didn't give Lucy any shit for entering the lab no. or swiping in. 
Okay. <laughs> Matthew, um, this is Lucy Merriweather. I thought Lucy should see the page for Mashmal 782 since she's spending so much time helping me search for its lost siblings. A pleasure, Lucy. Come and see what you're helping Diana to find. Matthew's expression went from wary to welcoming. And then he gestured towards Mulder and Scully. Miriam, can you log Lucy in as a guest? Okay, see, I spoke too soon. See, look, I did that. Mm -hmm. All right. (laughs) Well, they weren't much nicer about it. I know. (laughs) Already done. Miriam tapped Chris on the shoulder, staring at that genetic map isn't getting you anywhere, Roberts. Take a break. Chris flung down his pen. We need more data. We're scientists. Of course we need more data. The air between Chris and Miriam hummed with tension. Come and look at the pretty picture anyway. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Chris grumbled, giving Miriam a sheepish smile. All right. (laughs) This is getting Mm. crazy. What's going on here? Mm. Illumination of the alchemical wedding rested on a wooden book stand. No matter how often I saw it, the image always amazed me. And not just because of the personification of sulfur and quicksilver look like Matthew and me. So much detail surrounded the chemical couple, the rocky landscape, the wedding guests, the mythical and symbolic beasts who witnessed the ceremony, and the phoenix who encompassed the scene with flaming wings. Next to the page was something that looked like a flat metal postal scale with a blank sheet of parchment in the tray. Scully will tell us what she's discovered. Matthew gave the student the floor. This illuminated page is too heavy. Scully said, blinking her eyes behind a pair of thick lenses. Heavier than a single page should be, I mean. Sarah and I both thought it was felt heavy. I looked at Matthew. Remember in the house, when the house first gave us a page in Madison, I reminded him in a whisper. He nodded. Perhaps it's something a vampire can't perceive. Even now, I've seen Scully's evidence. The page feels entirely normal to me. I ordered some vellum online from a traditional parchment maker, Scully said. It arrived this morning. I cut the sheet to the same size, nine inches by 11 and a half, and weighed it. You can have the leftovers, Professor Claremont. We can all use some practice with that probe you developed. Thank you, Scully. Good idea. And we'll run some core samples of the modern vellum for comparison's sake, Matthew said with a smile. As you can see, Scully resumed, the new vellum weighed a little over an ounce and a half. When I weighed Professor Bishop's page the first time, it weighed 13 ounces, as much as approximately nine sheets of ordinary vellum. Scully removed the fresh sheet of calfskin and put the page from Ashmole 782 in its place. The weight of the ink can't account for that discrepancy. Lucy put her own glasses on to take a closer look at the digital readout. And the parchment used in Ashmole 782 looks like it's thinner, too. It's about half the thickness of the vellum. I measured it. Scully pushed her glasses back into place. But the Book of Life had more than 100 pages, close to 200. I did some rapid calculations. If a single page weighs 13 ounces, the whole book would weigh close to 150 pounds. That's not all. Hmm. (laughs) But wait, there's more. (gasps) The page isn't always the same weight, Mulder said. He pointed to the scale's digital readout. Look, Professor Claremont. The weight's dropped again. Now it's down to seven ounces. He looked up at a clipboard and noted the time and the weight on it. It's been fluctuating randomly all morning, Matthew said. Thankfully, Scully had the good sense to leave the page on the scale. If she removed it immediately, we would have missed it. That wasn't deliberate, Scully flushed and lowered her voice. I had to use the restroom. When I came back, the weight had risen a full pound. (laughs) Oops. Wow. What's your conclusion, Scully? Chris asked in his teacher voice. I don't have one, she said, clearly frustrated. Vellum can't lose weight and gain it again. It's dead. Nothing I'm observing is possible. Hmm. Hmm. 
Um, something in there is the title, I think. Anyway, next. <laughs> <laughs> could be. Could be. Mm-hmm. So when Diana was carrying it, at least in the TV show, that's what I picture now. I mean, it wasn't 150 pounds. It was fluctuating to the least amount of weight. Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe it was kept fluctuating. She thought maybe she was carrying something heavy in there. Or maybe it's just the instability of the detached pages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I buy that. Welcome to the world of science, my friend, Chris said with a laugh. He turned to Scully's companion. How about you, Mulder? The page is clearly some sort of magical container. There are other pages inside it. Its weight changes because it's still somehow connected to the rest of the manuscript. Mulder slid a glance in my direction. I think you're right, Mulder, I said, smiling. We should leave it where it is and record its weight every 15 minutes. Maybe there will be a pattern, Mulder suggested. Sounds like a plan, Chris looked at Mulder approvingly. So, Professor Bishop, Mulder said cautiously, do you think there really are other pages inside of this one? If so, that would make Ashmole 782 a palimpsest, Lucy said, her imagination sparkling. A magical palimpsest. My conclusion from today's events in the lab that humans are much cleverer than we creatures give them credit for. Come on, Diana, really? <laughs> I mean, dude, creatures walk around. Humans are so fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she wanted to be one for all those years. So I know. That. It is a palimpsest, I confirm, but I never thought of Ashmo 782 as, what did you call it, Mulder? A magical container, he repeated, looking pleased. We already knew that Ashmole 782 was valuable because it's text and it's genetic information. If Mulder was correct, there was no telling what else might be in it. Have the DNA results come back from the sample you took a few weeks ago, Matthew. Maybe if we knew what creature the vellum came from, it would shed some light on the situation. Wait, you removed a piece of this manuscript and ran a chemical analysis on it? Lucy looked horrified. Ooh, how dare you? One of my precious books. Anyway, only in a small piece from the core of the page, we inserted a microscopic probe in the edge. You can't even see the hole it made, not even with a magnifying glass, Matthew assured her. I've never heard of such a thing, Lucy said. That's because Professor Claremont developed the technology and he hasn't shared it with the rest of the class. Chris cast a disapproving look at Matthew. (laughs) But we're going to change that, aren't we, Matthew? Oh, he's so jealous. It's not even funny. Matthew's like, apparently. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Miriam shrugged. Give it up, Matthew. We've used it for years to remove DNA from all sorts of soft tissue samples. It's time someone else had fun with it, she said. We'll leave the page to you, Scully. Chris inclined his head towards the other end of the lab in a clear request for conversation. Can I touch it? Lucy asked, her eyes glued to the page. Of course. It survived all these years, after all. Matthew said, Mulder, Scully, can you help Ms. Merriweather? Let us know when you're ready to leave, Lucy, and we'll get you back to work. Based on Lucy's avid expression, we had plenty of time to talk. What is it? I asked Chris. Now that we were away from his students, Chris looked as if he had bad news. If we're going to learn anything more about blood rage, we need more data, Chris said. And before you say anything, Miriam, I'm not criticizing what you and Matthew had managed to figure out. Well, good. Finally. Jesus. Yeah. And the implication is that, well, there are critiques available. I'll just not say them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm giving him credit because, you know, at least he's stating it in a way where I can accept how he says it. Yes. Yes. But it's really funny. It's like he he knows that the problem is, yeah, Miriam's going to go there because you set the bar. (laughs) Yeah. 
This isn't a Miriam problem, it's a you problem, Chris. And I also think I accept it because Miriam's there to fucking yank on the leash if she needs to. So (laughs) I'm way better. Yeah. Given that most of your DNA samples come from the long dead or the undead, but DNA deteriorates over time and we need to develop the genetic maps for demons and witches and sequence their genomes if we want to reach accurate conclusions about what makes you distinct. So we get more data, I said relieved. I thought this was serious. It is, Matthew said grimly. One of the reasons why the genetic maps for witches and demons are less complete is that I had no good way to acquire DNA samples from living donors. Amir and Hamish were happy to volunteer theirs, of course, as were some of the regulars at Amir's yoga classes at the old lodge. But if you were to ask for samples from a broader cross-section of the creatures, you'd have to answer the questions about how the material was going to be used. Now I understood. We've got another problem, Chris said. We simply don't have enough DNA from Matthew's bloodline to establish a pedigree that can tell us how blood rage is inherited. There are samples from Matthew, his mother, and Marcus Whitmore. That's all. Why not send Marcus to New Orleans? Miriam asked Matthew. What's in New Orleans? Chris said sharply. Marcus's children, Galvas said. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we always say Galvas was a fucking loud mouth? (laughs) I love that Galvas feels that, you know, not my tale to tell does not apply to him. No, (laughs) never applies to him. Because you get the best tidbits out of him. (laughs) Whitmer has children. Chris looked at Matthew incredulously. How many? A fair few, Galvas said, cocking his head to the side. Grandchildren, too. And Mad Myra's got more than her fair share of blood rage, doesn't she? You'd be wanting her DNA for sure. <laughs> My God, Galvas. <laughs> what else do you want to know? God, it's, like, it's like, God, talk about word vomit. Chris thumped the lab bench, the rack of empty tubes rattling like bones. God damn it, Matthew. You told me you had no other living offspring. I've been wasting my time with results based on three family samples while your grandchildren and great-grandchildren are running up and down Bourbon Street. It's all about semantics. They're undead, really. I know. Yeah. It's not living. <laughs> yep. I didn't want to bother Marcus. <laughs> And he doesn't quite trust you, Chris. Matthew said shortly he has other concerns. Like what? Yeah, like uh, that's what I'm I'm asking. Like (laughs) what? (laughs) Another psychotic brother. There's been nothing on the Bad Seeds video for feed for weeks, but that's not going to continue indefinitely. When Benjamin pops up again, we'll need more than the predictive modeling and hunches to outsmart him, Chris exclaimed. Calm down, Chris. Miriam, that's me. Calm down, Chris. <laughs> Miriam said, putting a hand on his arm, the vampire genome already includes better data than either the witch or the demon genome. Still, it's shaky in places, Chris argued, especially now that we're looking at the junk DNA. I need more witch, demon, and vampire DNA. Stat. Game Boy, Xbox, and Daisy all volunteered to be suave, Miriam said. It violates modern research protocols, but I don't think it's an insurmountable problem, provided that you're transparent about it later, Chris. Xbox mentioned a club on Crown Street where the demons hang out. Chris wiped his tired eyes. I'll go down and recruit some volunteers. Whoa. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You can't go there. You'll stick out as a human. And Professor Miriam said firmly, I'll do it. I'm far more scarier. (laughs) And her delivery is probably better. Yeah. Only after dark, Chris shot a slow smile. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. What's going on? Why did I not notice this the first time? (laughs) That one line. Only after dark, baby. Because it, it was like it was self protection. It's I like your, your so. brain. It was like brain and trauma. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I did not see that. My brain, yeah, my brain is protecting itself from trauma. <laughs> oh, good idea, Miriam. I said hastily. I wanted no further information about what Miriam was like when the sun went down. Mm. <laughs> on, on all the levels. <laughs> I know. On so many levels. Galagos is like, you can swab me. I'm not Matthew's bloodline, but it could help. And there's plenty of other vampires in New Haven. Give Ava Jaeger a ring. Oh, yay. Bob with Ava. Matthew was stunned. I haven't seen Ava since she discovered Baldwin's role in the German stock market crash of 1911 and left him. Whoops. Oh, d- <laughs> double eggs here. Side notes, side notes. Go, go. Um, first one, Eva Jaeger. Leave it to Baldwin to date a woman whose name translates to life hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Two, the reference to their precipitous event, which caused their breakup, was the Ajadar crisis, which was the precursor to the precursor of World War One. Mm. That's why she was pissed. And Baldwin did Baldwin type diplomatic stuff, including making sure one of the French guys was too sick to go to the meeting, which caused the German stock market to crash. Whoops. Whoops. And that's your after school moment. The more you know should play right here. I mean, yes. if we're keeping track of sound effects today. That's true. <laughs> With the little rainbow and the yes. star that comes out. That's so 70s. It is. I don't think either of them would appreciate your being so indiscreet, Matthew Galgloss chided. Let me guess. She's a new hire in the economics department, I said. Wonderful. Baldwin's ex. That's just what we need. And have you run into more of these New Haven vampires, Matthew demanded? Galgloss is like, a few. <laughs> <laughs> and Matthew opened his mouth to inquire further. Lucy interrupted us. The page from Ashmole 782 changed its weight three times while I was standing there. She shook her head in amazement. If I hadn't seen it myself, I wouldn't have believed it. I'm sorry to break this up, but I have to get back to the Beinecke. Galaglass dodges a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll go with you, Lucy, I said. You still haven't told me what you've learned about the Voynich. After all this science, it's not very exciting, she said apologetically. It is to me. I kissed Matthew. See you at home. I should be there by late afternoon. He hooked me into his arms and pressed his mouth against my ear. His next words were so low that the other vampires would have to strain to hear them. Don't stay too long at the library. Remember what the doctor said. I remember Matthew. I promised him. Bye, Chris. See you soon. Chris gave me a hug and released me quickly. He looked down at my protruding stomach reproachfully. One of your kids just elbowed me or need you. I laugh. You probably deserved it, Chris. That's just me, though. (laughs) And I'm thinking, spoiler alert, it was Rebecca. Because she's no dummy. (laughs) (laughs) They're both pretty active these days. Matthew's gaze rested on me. Proud, tender, a shade worried. It felt like falling into a pile of freshly fallen snow. Crisp and soft at the same time. Hmm. There are some four back shadowing. Four back shadowing. (laughs) From when she was from from the kitten. um, From from the Cora Snow Angel. Yeah, that's what came from the Kit and Louisa incident where she kind of blacked out and saw the Snow Angel and her dad and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. If we had been at home, he would have pulled me into his arms so that he too could feel the kicks or knelt before me to watch the bulges of feet and hands and elbows. I smiled at him shyly. Miriam cleared her throat. Take care, Galglass, Matthew murmured. It was no casual farewell, but an order. Get the fuck out of here. His nephew na- nodded as if your wife were my own. Dot, mm. dot, mm. 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 dot. New time and place, everybody. Okay. So we return to the Beinecke at a statelier 
fast-paced chatting about the Voynich and Ashmole 782, Lucy was even more caught up into the mystery now. Galglass insisted we pick up something to eat, so we stopped at the pizza place on Wall Street. I waved to a fellow historian who was sitting in one of the scarred booths with stacks of index cards and an enormous soft drink. But she was so absorbed in her work, she barely acknowledged me. Leaving Galglass at his post outside the Beinecke, we went into the staff room with our late lunch. Everyone else had already eaten, so we had the place to ourselves. In between bites, Lucy gave me an overview of her findings. Wilfred Voynich brought Yale's mysterious manuscript from the Jesuits in 1912, she said, munching on a cucumber from her healthy salad. They were quietly liquidating their collections at the Villa Montragone outside of Rome. Mondragone. Yeah, which Mondragone. Mondragone, which actually I think translates to Dragon Mountain. Dragon Mountain, uh, yep. Huh. Ho, 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 ho. Okay, I'm stopping. As opposed to Clear Mountain, Dragon, Dragon Mountain. Mountain. Oh. Huh. <laughs> huh. Were the Jesuits trafficking with the Draculesti? Would they or would they be the flip um, side? Yeah, the Draculesti. Because they were the drag the dragon killers. Yeah. Slayers. Right. Yeah. Well, Could be. Hmm. I wonder which vampire family they were trafficking with then. Right. The the order of the defeated dragon, if they're slaying dragons, that also may also come back on the Claremonts. I mean, it's a real place, too. Yeah, yeah. right. It I is. mean, all this pedigree is real, but mm-hmm. still, it's certainly something for Deb to hang her hat on down the line and spin into something. It's definitely a road that she could take. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we need to look more into this Pope Gregory the Thirteenth's heraldic device. Hmm. Stay tuned. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Mondragoni. I shook my head thinking of Cora. Yep, it got its name from the heraldic device of Pope Gregory the Eighth. The thirteenth. The thirteenth. Thirteenth. That's right. The X is a ten. <laughs> the guy who reformed the calendar. But you probably know more about that than I do. I nodded. Crossing Europe in the late sixteenth century had required familiarity with Gregory's reforms if I had wanted to know what day it was. <laughs> Is Lucy asking that because Diana's a historian or is she asking that if she knew she time walks? See, I had that question earlier, too. Uh It's like, how much did Diana disclose to Lucy as far as why she knows the things she knows? Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Just a question. How far did she take this whole confidant thing? Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I nodded. Crossing Europe in the 16th century had required familiarity with Gregory's reforms. If I had wanted to know what day it was, I think she would have mentioned it to us here. So I'm just going to say it was coincidence. I think so. And when she discovered the calendar change in Shadow of Night, she approached it from the historian stance. So knowing what kind of historian she is, maybe Lucy's like, that's your area of expertise. Yeah. More than 300 volumes of the Jesuit College in Rome were moved into the Villa Mondragoni sometime in the late 19th century. I'm still a bit fuzzy on the details, but there was some sort of confiscation of church property during the Italian unification. Lucy stabbed an anemic cherry tomato with her fork. The books sent to the Villa Mondragoni were reportedly the most treasured volumes in the Jesuit library. Hmm, I wonder if I could get a list. I owe my friend from Stanford even more, but it might lead to one of the missing pages. It's worth a shot. Voynich wasn't the only interested collector, of course. The Villa Mondragoni sale was one of the greatest private book auctions of the 20th century. Voynich almost lost the manuscript to two other buyers. Do you know who they were? I asked. Not yet, but I'm working on it. One was from Prague. That's all I've been able to discover. Prague? I felt faint. 
You don't look well, Lucy said. You should go home. Rest. I'll keep working on it and I'll see you tomorrow, she added, closing her empty styrofoam container. Auntie, your early gal glass, said when I exited the building. Ran into a research snag. I sighed. The whole day has been a few bits of progress sandwiched between two thick slices of frustration. Hopefully, Matthew and Chris will make further discoveries in the lab because we're running out of time. Or perhaps I should say I'm running out of time. It will all work out in the end, Galgas said with a sage nod. It always does. That's what we say. Mm-hmm. We cut across the green and through the gap between the courthouse and city hall on Court Street. We crossed the railroad tracks and headed towards my house. When did you buy your condo in Worcester Square, Galgas? I asked, finally getting around to one of the many questions I had about the Declaremonts and their relationship to New Haven. After you came here as a teacher, Galgas said, I wanted to be sure you were all right in your new job and Marcus was always telling stories about a robbery at his house or that his car had been vandalized. I take it Marcus wasn't living in his house at this time, I said, raising an eyebrow. Lord, no, he hasn't been in New Haven for decades. Well, we're perfectly safe here. I looked down the pedestrian's only length of Court Street, a tree-lined residential enclave in the heart of the city. As usual, it was deserted, except for a black car and some potted plants. Perhaps, Galgas said dubiously. We just reached the stairs leading to the front door when a dark car pulled up to the intersection of Court and Olive Streets, where we had been only moments before. The car idled while a lanky young man with sandy blonde hair unfolded from the passenger seat. He was all legs and arms, with surprisingly broad shoulders for someone so slender, I thought. He must be an undergraduate because he wore one of the standard Yale student uniforms, dark jeans, black t-shirt, sunglasses, shielded his eyes, and he bent over and spoke to the driver. Good God, Galgas looks as though he's seen a ghost. It can't be. I studied the undergraduate without recognition. Do you know him? The young man's eyes met mine. Mirrored lenses could not block the efforts of a vampire's cold stare. He took the glasses off and gave me a lopsided smile. You're a hard woman to find, Mistress Royden. And that is the end. Ugh, that is such a great closing line. Yes. Yes. Oh, that leaves me so satisfied. Okay. So, Jean, we'll start with you. You're so satisfied. <laughs> uh, good chapter for you then, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we got Jack back all grown up. We don't know it's Jack yet. Well, it's we mystery do. guy. <laughs> <laughs> mystery, mystery guy. I, I'm, mystery I'm like Remember that? Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. He's the lanky swimmer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It's not Ryan Lockie. Shh. No. Shh. <laughs> Angela, what do you think? Like I said, I'd love this chapter. Despite, and this is my shortcoming, all the science stuff, and I tried really, really hard to follow it. I This is one of the better science chapters for me personally because it's... Well, because it's more magical science than science science. Yeah, it's interesting. And it brings new elements into the universe, the All Souls universe that I had never considered. And mm-hmm. it's details that aren't in other books. And it was just very unique. And I love Deb's writing in this as well. A lot of revelations mm-hmm. in it as far yep. as, you know, Eva. It's like, whoa, Baldwin's Eva? And, you know, Baldwin. and then, and, and then <laughs> there was a woman who actually put up with him for more than one day. <laughs> <laughs> it was doomed from the start. <laughs> It was probably but, fun from the start, too. I mean, but, you know, there was a length of time there where, you know, that worked for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, apple and bean, they're growing. They don't have horns. And the other interesting thing was for as frustrated and angry Matthew kept getting, or I should say for as much as Matthew let Baldwin keep pushing his buttons. 
Mm-hmm. He was certainly quick to chide Galaglass for spreading his private business all out on the street. Right. Huh. Which was kind of like, God, you keep like switching up from one extreme to the other, Matthew. Please make up your mind. Are you mad at him or are you his brother? Yeah. Because that was like a very brother thing to do. All right. This is a good chapter. Hopefully yeah, we come was. up with a title for it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I know. I know. Okay. So I forgot to mention earlier when we started the wagon that this uh, chapter discussion was brought to us by Catherine Quirk. So thank you, Catherine. Thank you, thank Catherine. you Catherine. And we're going to go ahead and gavel it. So going once, going twice. So very good. Very good. On to housekeeping. And this episode's housekeeping is brought to us by Nancy Forster. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. Housekeeping. Okay, so who's got something for housekeeping? I have a housekeeping message from Becca V regarding episode six of season two. Hi, Becca. Hello. Hey, Becca. Hello, lovely demons. Oh, episode six. I think this episode is everything to everyone. Seeing Matthew in a blood rage gives us just a hint of what he has gone through. The blood vow is where I started crying, and then do I really stop? Oh. The shot to the heart is where Matthew explains the end of Philippe's life. Matthew Good's voice cracking. He was broken. He was frightened. Kills me. Mm. I never sobbed so hard watching a television show. But then this is so much more to us who have lived with these stories for all these years. Oh, the true. wedding. And then finally, the moment we've been waiting for ah, happy, contented sigh. Oh. The only thing I wish was different is that Matthew were not there at the temple with Diana and Philippe. But even that is a powerful, meaningful scene. Yeah. Thank you, as always, for all these fun recaps. I hope those watching for the first time are enjoying themselves. Love and light to you three and to all. Becca. Thank you, Becca. Thank you, Becca. Thank you. All right. I have one from Barbara, and this is reference episode six as well. I think it's six. Anyway, I'll read it and we'll determine as we go. (laughs) Uh, From Barbara. (laughs) Hello, lovely Demon Divas. Thank you for the after party and your insights into this episode. You all had me giggling with the comments as usual. I agree that this season pulls aspects from season one in in an intriguing and interesting way. The one that I didn't hear you mention however, is the view, a set tour in the distance with Matthew and Diana on horseback. Did you notice that it's the same view we get in season one where Matthew's taking Diana to meet Isabeau? Hmm. Yeah. And we also get it again when, with Phoebe and mm-hmm. Marcus too. I, I, th- I know we mentioned it at least once, but it may have been with Phoebe and Marcus. With Phoebe and Marcus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a familiar flash that they stuck to. Yes. Um, and she says, oh yeah. And before I forget, I think we can add another meaning to the term hangry as after Diana being left um frustrated shall we say we could perhaps add horny and angry or hangry just a thought she looked ready to chew iron that's hornery and hangry <laughs> it's hornery it's almost I think like it's hornery, hornery but it's hornery. <laughs> yeah, it's hornery I like hornery uh, take care demons stay healthy stay vigilant stay yeah. cool and, and I, I, I guess whether or not it is in fact iron is probably a private matter between husband and wife yeah True. <laughs> Peace and love, Barbara. Okay. Thanks, Barbara. Thank, Thank you, Barbara. Barbara. What do you got, Angela? It looks like I have a five-star review. <gasps> <gasps> it's a review from Audible, so that's fantastic that we can get reviews there as well. Yay. Yay. The title is Love Discovery of Witches? Question mark. It's from Toxic Sheep No More, Georgia. There's three categories we get to be rated on overall. Five oh. stars. Oh. Performance. Ooh. Applause. Five okay. stars. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. And story. 
five stars. Fifteen stars. Oh, yes. oh, Fifteen star review. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! So yeah, audience, that's an option for you. If you listen to us yes. on Audible, you can review us there. You don't need yes. Apple Podcast for that. They wow. go on to comment though. This is your podcast, if so. So she's answering the question. Three incredibly smart demon ladies make this incredible pod. Take my word for it. Binge it. This is what got me through 2020. Wow. <gasps> wow. Thank you. What was her username? Toxic Sheep No More Georgia. Well, thank you, Toxic Sheep No More Georgia. No more. Well, say that yes. three times fast. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. All thank right. You. We're going to head into Save It for the Show. And this is going to be a fun topic. And I'll explain more later. But this episode, Save It for the Show, is brought to us by Elena Tronco. So... Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Elena. Save it for the show. Save it for the show. Guys, save it for the show. Okay, so save it for the show. Sound effects. Why we do it. Our favorites and our patrons' favorites. Yay! yay. <laughs> did, we, did we really need to do yay or are you just going to put yay in there? <laughs> I'm going to put it in there. It's going to happen. Okay, so uh, Jean, go ahead and open up why we started them. Because I think you because said so the other day and I didn't even remember it, but you reminded me because I found him in GarageBand. Yeah, you found him in GarageBand and started playing with him because we were doing the yays and the, the jeers all on our own. And you're like, oh, look what I found. <laughs> <laughs> started, started putting them in. <laughs> Back in the day, I used yes. to edit this podcast in GarageBand. And if you guys don't know, if you have an Apple computer, GarageBand used to come free. I think it still comes free, but you got to download it from the App Store. But mm -hmm. it used to just come all packaged up in your Mac. So I went wandering in there and I was like looking sound effects. I was like, oh, there's sound effects. And I found a whole folder full of just noises. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but noises. We have not gone back since because I'd play them and just giggle in my head. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can insert these here. Oh, my God. It was yeah, like a whole new world. You ended up not, not have to making your own anymore with all my different laughs. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> they were pre-made. <laughs> right. And okay, so listen, we don't do anything by halves. And uh, somebody had written us a five-star review. However, their complaint was they just wanted to hear us. They don't want to hear the sound effects. So my idea here was to inoculate all of you to the sound effects. <laughs> and under, maybe if you have a better understanding of where they came from, maybe you'll forgive us in the future. You can still hate them that's fine i'm also gonna say we're not changing it we're still gonna have sound effects so they give you joy they give me joy avec joie <laughs> joy <laughs> is hard enough to come by in this world and well that's true it's staying <laughs> okay so we put out a poll on patreon here's another reason why you should join us on patreon okay because our patrons are kind of like our stockholders you know so we have we, <laughs> yeah. we hold stockholder meetings and because they're our well, biggest they're fans also, they're invested they're also our focus group yes too, yes so true. they get feedback well maybe feedback but you know we we kind of pull them on decisions and things we might be thinking about doing whether right. we follow their suggestions or not that's right. another matter, but we at least we take their solicit their, their opinions. We want to hear their opinions. And here's yes. the thing: I warn them, whatever they say, 
is not going to change what we do, but we're just curious. We want to know what other people think. Okay, so the poll turned out, I think it was 59 love them. Four people couldn't care less. They were fine, you know, either way. It's just like ambiguous about it. Either way, mm-hmm. they were fine. Indifferent. Indifferent. Yes. And then there's two that said they hated it. So for those two that you guys said you hated it, I'm sorry for this whole save it for the show. But, you know, you can skip. I'll actually timestamp when this ends (laughs) in the show notes so you can skip this part if you want. Okay, so uh, I just gave you the poll numbers and Mm -hmm. we offered our patrons to sponsor the ones they want. There's going to be quite a few sound effects that many people like. So some of these sound effects have several different sponsors. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to start. Samantha Reeves. Yay, Samantha. Her favorite is Fitzio. The Ditch Crash. (laughs) I love that one, too. Yeah. And anytime we get to use Pierre's music. And I call it the French music, but now we're going to have to rename it Pierre's music. So there's that. Shelly, Shelly Carter, Dr. Shelly. She says she likes novelty, and that's the Queen's Horns. I'll play that for you here. Matthew's drum roll, which one, Angela, before we turned on the mic, you said that was one of your favorites. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Fitzio. So, yay. I'm noticing a pattern here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they go for the violence. <laughs> yes. All right, so Jane, Jane Baxter says, Fitzio, always Fitzio. And I love Pierre's music, too. Okay. Yay. Okay, so Marion Tremblay, I think that's how, Marion Tremblay. I like the use of the music from, okay, so Jane, do you know how to pronounce that? It's Shahrazad. Sh- there you go. Shahrazad. Our outro music. Our, our outro music. Yes. Yes. Shahrazad. She likes that, and that was Jean's choice, actually. <laughs> when we put together this podcast, when we decided we were going to do it, we all but re- we've recorded our voices. Our first episode, we were looking for an intro, and we wanted something more upbeat for an intro and something to slide you out into the night for an outro and Jean's choice was this melancholy with the violins I was like oh my god I just want to cry every time I hear it Jean but but but, but here's the thing the whole story of Scheherazade is the girl who can tell she's the girl who could tell the story and save her life every night yeah because once the story ends, the sheik is going to kill her, but she just keeps spinning the story. So it seemed pretty appropriate for us. <laughs> so I said, you know going. what? Let's use this as an outro because there's one point that seems very upbeat. Because if you listen to the whole thing, it just seems so sad. And I was like, oh, oh my I God. Know. And then I was like, oh, but the ending is kind of promising. It feels uh-huh. like it's optimistic. It's the cliffy. Yeah. It's the cliffy. <laughs> So that's the story about our outro, and Jean was the one who chose it. So there you go. And every time I hear it, I don't even think of the original piece. I just think of our podcast now. So it's very nicely attached. Till next time. Yes. (laughs) It's more of a till next time than just sad. Right. So Nancy Forster. Thank you, Nancy. Matthew's drum roll. She's sponsoring Fitzio. (laughs) And the 
bondage crash. So there we go. There you go. There you go. You guys are going to be so sick of hearing these sound effects. Anyway, <laughs> Stephen Close, our disguster in chief, he says, "Oh goodness, ditch driving. That would be the ditch crash <laughs> and the tow truck." Because Stephen is the driver there. <laughs> yes. Yes. The backup. The backup. The backup. Yeah, he's he's the one that has to pull us out of the ditch. Um, Gene, do you or Angela? How about you explain the background of the ditch crash, the tow truck, all of that? The ditch crash. Well, that's uh, generally. um, I'm yeah, I'm trying to take the wheel and make it go straight, but you guys will sometimes uh, veer off into the ditch and and uh, ride a little bit in the ditch and then come back up. Uh, Sometimes I gotta get the tow truck. Sometimes Stephen has to get the tow truck to pull you out and and get yeah. us back on track of, right. of the whatever all, Sto- all Souls segment is at hand. So Yes, yes. Um, it, but what's funny, though, is that we didn't realize you were going to do that, and we don't even know the spots you're going to do it. So it's funny because you'll hear like, the, the, the reverse uh, chime going off <laughs> when yeah, we're like, talking oh. or it's around us. So it's, it's hilarious to me, too, to see how it's going to turn out. Yes. I never know. I never know. It's usually, I mean, I do have a program where I can do it while we're recording, but we have too many interruptions and breaks for me to do that consistently. Do you know? Cause someone's got mm-hmm. a pee break or it's like, Hey, help me read this thing or I got to read this again or, you know, yeah. so it's easier for me to do it in editing where everything is put together. So that's why we do it after the fact. Uh-huh. But. Um, for those of you who don't know, when you're listening to us read a chapter, you're going on a journey with us. And our vehicle happens to be a 1970 station wagon. Yes. That, that would be me. That was my responsibility. <laughs> that we all picture ourselves in. Then every time we get on one of these journeys, you know, we picture you guys in the background throwing snacks at each other, or whatever. <laughs> Either I'm driving or Jean's driving or Angela's driving. If Angela's no, driving. But there well, was that one time I. I was sitting in the rear rearward face, <laughs> rearward face facing seat in the back and you guys and you fell out. Let me yeah. Fall. yeah, you rolled out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say rear rearward facing. Uh, oh. we had to turn around and get you. Luckily you were close to a phone or something. <laughs> I think it was I, it was as you pulled out of the gas station, I think. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, James. God, mm-hmm. you're so crusty about that after five years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm telling the story of how we ended up first with the, the station wagon, then it was like it was like the kid who fell out of the back. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I lost my connection and you guys were like Wait a minute, where's Gene? Where's Gene? Oh <laughs> shit, she rolled out of the I think back. it's hol- I think it's hilarious. And yeah, it turned so, into this huge thing. So that's how we came up with the concept. Of, see, there's a history behind all these sounds, guys. Uh that's how we came up with the concept of the station wagon. And if we were taking you on a journey, no, it would not be in a luxury vehicle or a lim- it would be in a 1970s station mm-hmm. wagon because this is how we roll. Just like so. Sarah Jessica Parker's. <laughs> And and everyone of our generation knows either it happened in their family or they know of a family who made a stop at the gas station and left their kid behind yes. <laughs> by accident. Because we're, we're Gen X and that's how we roll. That's how we roll. And that's how we're used to it. 
Okay. So, Barbara Boyd. Thank you, Barbara, for this. She has decided to sponsor the Ditch Crash. And if it isn't obvious, the twisted bitch in my mind goes there anyway, no matter how subtle. So, yeah, usually the Ditch Crash is uh, when we veer off the subject at hand and we find ourselves in cackling bits. It's usually something sexual in nature, sometimes really bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's usually my fault. And it lends itself to replicate itself until it's almost a virus and Angela has to come in with a hose. And <laughs> it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Snorting may be involved. Right. Okay. So Fitzio has no problems as far as getting sponsored. If it were the Hunger Games, it would win. For real. Yes, for real. Okay. So Steph Lutz. Thank you, Steph. She likes the Ditch Crash. And that's, you know, and Fitzio. There we go. Georgia P. Fitzio. Okay, good. Becca V. Fitzio. Tow Trek. Jeopardy. And all of them cracked me up. So, you know, Becca's decided to sponsor all of them. I'm not going to play all of them. Just, you know, you guys know what's going on. Uh, Michelle Fannin. She's sponsoring. Yay! And ta-da! And novelty. So there we go. Yay. Christy Scott, Fitzio, Ditch Crash, and Tow Truck. Yeah, Uh, so, you know. It's the Holy Trinity. It is. (laughs) Terry Soares, Ditch Crash, Tow Truck, and Fitzio. Of course. Okay, so, yeah, there's definitely a theme here. Catherine Quirk. Thank you, Catherine. Fitzio and the Ditch Crash. Very Uh, popular. Clogal Lance, Fitzio, Ditch Crash, and Pierre's Music, and the Tow Truck. Yay. Catherine Brown. Fitzio, Matthew's drum roll, Ditch Crash, and The Price is Right. I'm going to assume that Price is Right lose her harm because the whole Price is Right, there are some copyright issues with that. So mm-hmm. the loser horn we're allowed to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Shelly Bunnell. Fitzio, and that's her all-time fave. Mm-hmm. The children, uh, I see I have children saying, ew, children saying. I think it's the cheers. Yeah, the children saying yay. Okay. Ditch Crash, Pierre's Music, and Hallelujah. Honestly, I love them all. Patty says tow truck. <laughs> she just says tow truck. <laughs> Kathy Daly. And I think, Kathy, this is a request because this is not one that I use. She says meow because Tabitha seems back row since Cora showed up. Okay, so Kathy, I will procure a meow for you. And I'll keep it in our library just in case there's an occasion for a meow to be used. So there we go. Well, it may not necessarily be because of Tabitha. We do have some good Isabel. Mm-hmm. Or catty scenes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or maybe we, we're being catty because that happens. <laughs> yeah, true. Meow. Meow. Julie Buckner. She likes blink, blink. <laughs> <laughs> And Julie, that's awesome. I always think some of my sound effects go unnoticed. Usually when we say blink, blink, I'll insert the blink, blink right after. But you notice so cool. And she says ditch driving. And there we go. And for those of you who hate the sound effects and you listen through, good for you. Good for you. We applaud you too. Okay. So now that that's all out of our systems and you guys remember this episode. Oh, I have two two that I got missed out and they're mostly early ones. Um, Steven. Oh, Steven. Yeah. That's a copyright issue too. (laughs) I know. I always, we made our own sound effect on that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have to find the episode where we tried to sing it. 
Steven. Steven. Oh, Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and, and the Angelic Choir. Yes. Mentioned Queen Agatha. Right. Queen yes. Agatha. Mm-hmm. And the gavel. And the gavel. Yes. Since we made it loud and Angela yes. can hear it now. Yes. <laughs> or at least I remember it's hearing it now. Matthew's drum roll. Matthew's drum roll. I like Matthew's drum roll. And I hope we don't get sued for it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love Matthew's drum roll. I like it because I can't, it's kind of inaudible to me what he says. And you're like, he says good hand. And like, so I say, good hand. <laughs> good hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a good one. It's a good one. I like the novelty. I like yay. I think I've mentioned that before. Well, you know, jeer is my favorite too. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, jeer. No one liked jeer. I love jeer. I love jeer too. And once in a while, uh, it'll come up on uh, shuffle in the car because, you know, Bluetooth will mm-hmm. play your music. Uh-huh. And you sent me the jeer file. <laughs> so I it's, did. Uh, it's in my library. So once in a while, it'll come up. <laughs> You're like, wow, what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> How random. That's hilarious. It's like, wow, who's booing me? What's going on? <laughs> Maybe you need that to be a ringtone. Yeah. I do have a combo that I like because they, they can be mixed and I, I have mixed one combo for like every time we get a five star review and it's like the fucking DJ horn going off really loud and just cheering and then somebody singing la 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 oh, then there's an, oh the other one I like is when we use a submarine diver down oh yeah <laughs> that's good it's warning it's also um, that one is also an alarm on the iPhone too. Oh God, I can't yeah, the diver down. Yeah, yeah, that's um, like every time we go into the spoiler zone, that's the one I use. I use that to wake me up for like years after I got my first wow. iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. All right, so you guys are probably sound effects out, but hey, there you go. There's a brief history attached to the whole sound effects mm-hmm. movement. We hope you appreciate it. And we have been using them for years. So no, they're not going anywhere. And maybe you're inoculated now or maybe you just hate them even more. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Stick with us. After this break, we'll do last thoughts and things we can't let go of. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. You can contact us. Send us your thoughts. Email us at demonsdiscuss at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 360-519-7836. By the way, your carrier rates apply here. Or leave one for free on SpeakPipe. SpeakPipe.com slant demonsdiscuss. Now, if you can't remember any of that, go to go.demonsdiscuss.com slant contact and all that information will be there you can also become a discusser there fill out the form and bam you're a discusser and the link to join our Facebook group is there too visit our main site demonsdomain.com and if you really feel like deep diving go to visit.demonsdomain.com slant master post and you can read interviews geek out with weekly geeks about all souls universe read about the characters keep that geek flag flying guys do you like what we do help us fund what we do go to patreon.com slant demons discuss make sure you follow us on social media we are on twitter facebook and instagram all at demons discuss 
If you're liking what you're hearing and you want to tell the world about it, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love them. We read them. It's wonderful. Also, it keeps Angela alive and we need her around, okay? Keep Angela Angela. Last thoughts. Well, right now we're in the midst of the AMC replay and Gene and I are live tweeting that we're on episode seven is coming up, but it's, if I'm time stamping us, it is just about the end of July mm-hmm. and we're that much closer to season three. So we should be hearing, I know. you know, something some, soon, some rumblings. Yes. And then that <laughs> chapter will be done. That TV chapter. Yes. Will be finished. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it occupied, I felt like it occupied a lot of our year this year. It did. did. Yeah. I think with season one, we did a lot of the recordings in the fall and we released them in January. So we were on to other things by the time it got released. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, This Mm -hmm. year, we were like back to back recording, 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 editing, editing. Yeah. Got a head start, but it was like our head start just rolled right into the seasons. And only because we're extra. Yeah. We put so much into it. <laughs> right. True. True. So, I mean, I guess we could have just reviewed them and been like, okay, see you next week. Bye. <laughs> you know, but eh, whatever. Gene, how about you? I've got a got a little project to do between now and the time of our next recording. I think I'm going to do a deep dive on the Mondragone sale and just see what I can find out. Oh, that would be just cool. Just because now I'm curious. Now Angela's made me curious. <laughs> um, and let's fault. see. Other than that, there's not much else other than live tweeting, which has been surprisingly fun. And curiosity about when we're going to find out about season three and maybe hopefully a new book soon, please. Mm-hmm. I know. Something. I know. My last thought. I'm really fucking pissed about COVID. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's save that for the after show. Uh, okay. Yes. I got thoughts on it too. <laughs> I got many thoughts. Okay. Good. So there's that. And you can kind of guess what I was thinking there because it's like you do all the right things and it doesn't fucking matter. But okay. I digress. Anyway. Good things. I love that we played all the sound effects. That was fun. Oh, Thank you. You feeling joyous? Yes. Yay. <laughs> um, let me see here. Yes. Also, well, like I said before, if you guys want to leave us a review, we'd really appreciate them. Even on some of the new platforms. I don't know about Pandora, but I do know Audible allows you to leave a review. So we just read you one from there. And if yes. you happen to listen or even if you listen to us on another podcast app and there's nowhere to leave us a review. Like. Spotify, like Spotify, and you have an Audible account, go ahead and find us and leave us a review there. That'd be cool. I'd like that. Angela would like that. I would love it. Jean likes that. Yes, I love it. And also, it's a 15 star review. What? (laughs) (laughs) 15 stars. You can't be fat. Anyway, um, let's see what else I have to pass on to you guys. Thank you for supporting us on the after parties. Thank you for writing in and saying how much you enjoy them as short or as long as they are. I mean, we had one, I think that was six minutes long and you guys were just like, all right, cool. We've had a lot of downloads for those. So that's really cool. I'm glad you're enjoying those. And we did it because we thought our listeners should have a voice too. Yes. I mean, you guys had a lot to say. And you had a lot of good good observations. Shit that we miss, you know. Yes. That's really good. Let's see here. Patrons, uh, how do I want to put this? I have been making our monthly posts public just to lure people in, but I'm thinking I might just make it patron only because I've been really mm-hmm. revealing a lot of secrets 
on our Patreon page. And I don't like teasing people and say, hey, click here. Hey, it's for patrons only. I hate teasing people like that. It's like, oh, yeah, you have this thing over here that I can't look at, you know. Right. So I'm thinking Mm -hmm. I might make it all private just for patrons. I don't know yet. I'm still thinking about it. But yeah, we can have a discussion in the after show. Let me see here. What else? No, I think that's good. I think we're good here. So let's say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to us. Demon kiss. And we'll talk to you next time.